Would you please stand with us as we reflect on what is to come? How I long to breathe the air of heaven Where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets To look upon the one who bled to save me And walk with him through all eternity Songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear. In the end, we'll see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away our tears. There will be a day when all will bow before him. Stand beside the heroes of the faith With one voice a thousand generations Sing worthy is the Lamb who was slain Forever he shall reign There will be a day
wait for that day. Amen. You may be seated. Quite the song to take your breath away. Whew. Welcome, Calvary Monument Bible Church, for this time of worship and rest upon our Lord. If you're visiting with us today, we welcome you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We hope that you feel welcomed here today and that you would also find rest in our faithful God. Our Bible memory verse for this month in September is 1 Corinthians 10:26. Let's proclaim it together. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 1 Corinthians 10.26. In Charles Spurgeon's book, Believe and Be Saved or Around the Wicked Gate, he writes about what he calls the best faith. He states, the very best faith is an everyday faith. The faith which deals with bread and water, coats and stockings, children and cattle, house rent and weather. And Spurgeon goes on to write about the need for faith seven days a week and then concludes with the God we have our faith in. He states, the Lord Jehovah is our household God. Jesus is our brother born for adversity. And the Holy Spirit is our comforter in every hour of trial. We have not an unapproachable God. He hears, he pities, he helps. Let us trust him without a break, without a doubt, without a hesitation. The words of Spurgeon. I have found that I must trust in God's truth and his good providential hand. He deserves our unwavering faith. This everyday faith that Spurgeon refers to is a needed faith. One that is easy to say one has, but can only be by the gracious hand of the only one who is faithful every day. Let's rest today in him, and let's sing of the deep, deep love of Jesus. Would you stand? Spread his praise from shore to shore. 
how he came to pay our ransom through the saving cross he bore. How he watches o'er his loved ones as he died to make his own. How for them he's interceding, pleading now before the throne. Oh, the deep, deep love, all I need and Far surpassing all the rest, it's an ocean full of blessing in the midst of every test. For oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, mighty Savior, precious friend, you will bring us home to glory where your love will never end. Oh, the deep, deep love, all I need and trust is the deep Come on up. <laughs> Neil will lead us. Thank you, Neil. Let's come before our Father in prayer. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that we're able to gather here in this building, this house that is called the house of prayer, that is called a sanctuary, Lord. It is a safe place. That's what a sanctuary is. It is safe because you are here and we are with you. Father, we just ask this morning that we examine ourselves. We desire, Lord, to be clean before you, creating me a clean heart, David said, and renew a right spirit within me, understanding, Lord, that he was never clean before you, but he could be cleaned by you. And that is our desire this morning, that we come before you clean and with humble hearts. Father, um, we want to lift up our church we want to lift up our leaders, our elders, our pastors, our staff. We need wisdom, Lord. We need wisdom as we go forward um, and chart new waters. And Father, you have promised to give us wisdom. Uh, you have said that if any man lack wisdom, he has simply to ask of you, 
and you will give it abundantly. And Father, we ask for abundant wisdom. We want to pray for each one of those uh, that take care of children, those who are in the nursery, those who are teaching, uh, those who run Awana. Father, children are fertile ground, and you have said that if seed is planted on fertile ground, it'll bring forth fruit, 30, 60, and 100-fold. And Father, we desire that we see that fruit in our children. Father, we have many who struggle with physical issues. Um, coming top to mind today is Wade Schaefer going in for another surgery on Tuesday. Father, we just ask that you would superintend over that and that this might be the last one for this particular issue. Father, there are many others uh, who are struggling with cancer, with other diseases, some with COVID. And uh, Father, you are the great physician. We ask for healing. Father, thank you that we are a church that honors and uh, has a great value for sending out people into um, Judea and Jerusalem and to the other, other ends of the earth. And uh, we just lift up our missions program today, and we just ask, Lord, that you would bless that, um, keeping uh, those who we have sent on the field strong and in your word. Now, Father, as Pastor Reed comes and opens up the word, the word of God, the word of truth, <clears throat> we ask, Lord, that you would bless it to our hearts and our minds, that you would open our eyes, that we would be doers, Lord, of that word and not hearers only. And we give you thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. you please stand with us as we sing Mighty to Save? Let's reflect on how much he is mighty to save.
one needs compassion, a love that's never failing. How often do I fail at this love? Oh, let mercy fall on me. You see, everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a savior. Lord Jesus, fill my life again. Paul exhorts in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. As someone once said, the trouble with living sacrifices is they get up off the altar. But Christianity is not a self-help program. Rather, it is complete and utter dependence on the transforming power of the gospel. We must constantly surrender ourselves, taking every thought captive to obey the lordship of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10:5. May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fills the sea. Think about that. That's a lot. Him exalting, self-abasing. This is victory. Paul continues in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is and what is good and acceptable and perfect. I challenge you this week to pray the text of this song. One verse. Take a verse each day and reflect on what it means to have the mind of Christ, the word of God dwelling richly, the peace of God ruling, the love of Jesus filling, running the race looking only to Jesus, his beauty resting and seeing only him. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. Oh 
You may be seated. And while you're sitting down, children in junior church, why don't you come up front? We're going to sing, Oh, Be Careful Little Eyes. Come on up front, and we're going to stand right along the staircase here. Come on up. Don't be shy. <laughs> right over here. And Pastor Bob is going to lead you guys in this song. Boy, am I glad you're here. Because you guys can teach this song. How many of you ever have sung this song? Oh, be careful, little eyes. Oh, couple? Good, good, good. You sang it in class. Well, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. That's one. That's right. That one right there. Or right there. Or right there. There are the words. When you were little? Yeah, I know. You're not little now. That's right. Well, we're going to sing this song. And, and what we're going to do is we're also going to help these, these folks that might not get it. We're going to try and show them some motions. So I'm going to do the motions, and so you do the motions too. The words are on the screen, so you can see them there, okay? If you sort of forget them. All right? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Junior church. There you go. Good. There was a book written years ago, and uh, the title of the book was um, "What I All I Ever Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten." And uh, you know, it, I never read the book, but you know what I've concluded? It's probably true. Because if we get those major lessons, you know, sharing being kind, uh, listening, use our mouths correctly, etc., etc. <clears throat> Those are some of the essential things we need to really learn in life. Uh, it was a number of months ago when I was asked to, to speak here. I was, uh, I'd been ministering in a number of churches uh, through spring and summer, and I was, a real burden developed in my heart. And the burden was that I was seeing that churches, Christian communities, our nation 
just not the sacred world, but the secular world, is being destroyed with our speech. And so I, I started really meditating upon that, and uh, it's really become a burden in my life. Matter of fact, I uh, also wrote an article that was just, I think, released this week in the Southern uh, uh, paper. I forget what they call it. Uh, the what? The Chronicles. I write that thing every six weeks, and I don't even know the newspaper. Anyway, um, it's, it's, uh, so I've written an article, actually, the, the, because I'm concerned that we, we need to be watching our speech, because instead of being careful with our speech, I think we're being careless with our speech. Churches are being destroyed because of that. Relationships are being destroyed because of that. And so I want to think about that with you from the Word of God and what God has to say about this issue in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. It is truth. And we need to be conformed to the image of Christ. And we need to listen to what Christ has to say. And when Christ says something, it needs to be, that's important to him, it needs to be important to us. So Lord, just as the children sang a song that we would say, well, it's just a children's song, but there is so much truth in it. Be careful, little mouths, what you say. And so help us as we look at the Word of God to understand that. May the Spirit of God be our teacher. May you lead us into truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is uh, too often uh, that we forget our speech. You know, somebody said one time, you know, well, it's because the tongue is in a slippery space, you know. It's in your mouth. And things slip out. And the thing that I've been convinced of, the only thing that slips out is what is already in the heart. And that's not my thought. That's not original. That's what Jesus says. And we're going to be touching upon that. But I find out that our words are important to God. And I believe that if something is important to God, it ought to be important to us. And I think that we'll find that we need to be careful with our speech and not careless. And the Word of God teaches us that. You know, we live in a culture characterized by people who are careless with their words. If we took the accumulated editorial pages of newspapers, posts on blogs or Facebook, exposés published in books, personal gossip and gripe sessions, it makes it very obvious. And such words are destroying relationships, it's destroying and paralyzing productive discussions. It's dividing social institutions that are necessary in a civilized culture. And tragically, it is not just our secular culture that's having problems with speech. I'm finding that it is a very, very big problem in the Christian community. Uh, I thought it was interesting as I was preparing, someone said that the average person speaks almost 30,000 words each day, and that's enough to fill a good-sized book. And I guess the question I asked myself as I read that is that, uh, do I want that book published? You know, do I want that hanging around? And I asked the question, am I being careful or careless with my words? Because it's very interesting, once a word is let loose, you don't bring it back. It's usually done its encouragement or it's done its damage. 
I, uh, I think God, not think, I know that God knew the nature and the conduct of fallen humanity, and, and he addresses our speech very frequently in the Word of God, and he talks about the power of the tongue. In fact, uh, we, we read these words, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. How many of us have killed a person's spirit? How many of us have destroyed a person's reputation. And you could go on and just ask those questions on and on and on. You know, there are 115 references in Proverbs to the tongue. That should probably give you a good hint that in wisdom literature, God has preserved an emphasis upon our speech. We need to be careful with our speech. This morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to submit to you a proposition as we look at just two portions of, of the Word of God, very important portions of the Word of God. And the, the proposition is this, that our speech is important to God, and we should be careful and not careless on how we use our mouths. Now, there's two reminders. One is from Jesus, and then one is from his half-brother, half James. And I find it interesting that James in every chapter he writes, talks about the speech. And you remember, James, I believe, was absorbing a much of the teaching of what Jesus Christ was saying. And Jesus had an awful lot to say about our speech, our tongues, our words. And so we want to look at just two reminders. The first reminder that I want you to look at is given by Jesus himself. And Jesus is telling us that words are revealing. So turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 12. You remember the context here. The religious leaders were saying things that revealed actually their lives, their hearts. Now remember the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had watched Jesus do an amazing thing. He had been involved in, in performing a miracle. But these religious leaders were saying things and they were condemning the works of Jesus by making false assumptions and false statements about Jesus' work, ascribing it to Satan. Have you ever had somebody say something that you said and said, well, you mean this? Really? You know, I've, I have that happen to me all the time when I, when I preach at churches. Well, I know what you meant. Really? I thought only God knew my heart. Because Jeremiah says, I don't even know my own heart. Well, I'm glad you know my heart. Now, I never have said that out loud. I, 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 I'm a little bit more controlled with my speech at times. But here, here it's, it's interesting that they're saying, oh, well, this miracle, you did it by the power of Satan. Do you really want to be talking to Jesus that way? That you're aligned with Satan? And how many times people are ascribing to someone else something that is very, very false. So what they were doing was they were using their words to criticize Jesus. Look at verse 32 of chapter 12. You see there, twice, Jesus is saying to them, you know, you're speaking against the Holy Spirit. And he's using this word, speak. Whoever speaks against the Son of God will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit. Do you see what Jesus is going after? He's going after their words. 
Why is he focusing upon their words? He's focusing upon their words because their words reveal their heart. And Jesus expands upon that. And so that brings us into this where Jesus launches into a teachable moment. Uh, the reality that speech is revealing our hearts and really who we are. Do we even think about that when we speak? Do we even think about what we're revealing that's going on in our lives when we open our mouths? It's very, very revealing. And I think oftentimes I forget what I'm revealing. Well, Jesus, he draws an illustration from nature. And what he does in verse 33, as, and I'm going to read the entire verses here, it says, uh, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the, the, the good treasure of his heart, he brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. That's strong language. But you remember, he's talking to those religious leaders whose, wor whose, whose life and their ministry was attached to words. And they were misusing, they were careless with their words right now, ascribing to Jesus who had performed a miracle and saying this miracle didn't come from God, this miracle came from Satan. Dangerous stuff. So he draws this illustration. You see what he says? He says, let's look at a tree. He says, when you look at a tree, you look at the tree and you will realize that a tree will produce fruit. It's interesting, a paraphrase by Weist, he says this, either declare the tree good and its fruit good, or declare the tree rotten and its fruit rotten, for by its fruit the tree is known. Now, the word that he uses there is, he says a tree is good, is it's a word that means in the Greek language, inherently or intrinsically good, that it is superior, that it has benefit. It says either that a tree is going to produce that, or the tree is going to be that which is bad. Actually, this is kind of an interesting Greek word because it means it's rotten. It's decayed. It's putrefied. And see, Jesus, his fruit was good. He's just healed a person. And he's done a good thing. So why are you saying something about him that he has produced good, but it's really bad? He said, can this be? They're saying was actually revealing more about them than it was about him. He says, you're revealing yourself. And that's why he goes on and he points out, he says, this declares something, as he draws this illustration from nature, something about these religious leaders. Verses 34 and 35, it talks about that. He's looking at their speech and he's saying it's revealing who they are. <laughs> well, let me tell you, it's not complimenting. He says, you brood of vipers. Wow. Now, the, the language that's used there for viper is interesting. The Bible background commentary points out that this is talking about the poisonous snake that, snake that lived primarily in the deserts of Palestine in the eastern Mediterranean. 
And uh, this particular snake, it looked like a dry twig. It would be very still, and that's the way it looked. It was very well camouflaged. And so it wasn't unusual for people to, as they were gathering sticks for a fire, to pick up one of these and then be bitten by this poisonous snake. As a matter of fact, uh, if this sounds familiar to you, you're remembering the book of Acts. You remember that happened to the Apostle Paul. Same kind of snake. And they had a reputation for being both deadly and deceitful. In other words, uh, they looked like a twig, but they weren't. They were deadly. So many times uh, people will come and they'll, they'll look really, really good with their speech. Ah, they'll throw out some really flattering, well, I really appreciated what you have to say. And then they launch into this tirade of abuse. Oh, okay, so which is this? Are you being deceitful or are you being wise? So we have to be very, very careful. And Jesus is saying this. He says, look, you are a brood of vipers. And then he's implying there, he says, you're not trustworthy to listen to because good is not produced from evil. He says, that's not the way it works. Now you're saying, well, we shouldn't judge other people's words. You know, we, you know if somebody says something, we ought to, we ought to really give them a good listening. Uh, be careful who you listen to. The kids just taught you that. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. The Bereans in the book of Acts, remember what, what they were commended for? It says because they searched the scripture, whether it was so. They didn't go to a popular speaker to see whether it was so. They didn't go to a mega pastor to see if what he's saying about life. It says they searched the scripture, not the super apostles of Paul's day, they searched the scriptures to see whether things were true or false. And you know what Jesus said? He says, listen. He says, we're supposed to be fruit inspectors. He says, yes, you don't judge, Matthew chapter 7. But judging has the idea of actually giving condemnation. In other words, uh, ascribing a penalty. Yeah, we don't, we don't judge. But we are fruit inspectors. And that's what Jesus is saying there. He says... You know, by your fruits, you shall know them. And so they're vipers. They're not trustworthy to listen to. And they were overflowing with the contents of their heart. It says there, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What really generates what we say? Where does it come from? Well, Jesus says, you know where it comes from? It comes from your heart. I don't know if any of you have ever looked carefully at your uh, hot water heater. Uh, yeah, most of us haven't. But on the top of it, you have a release valve. And uh, what, that's to protect your house because of the, if there's pressure built up there and the release valve doesn't let loose, all of a sudden you have an explosion in your house. And Jesus is saying, you know what? Your mouth is a release valve. And what is in you it comes out of you. Let me tell you, if the release valve on my hot water tank works and all of a sudden it goes off, pudding doesn't come out of that release valve. Oatmeal doesn't come out of that release valve. Water comes out of that release valve. Why? Because that's what's in it. So what comes out of our mouth is what's already in our heart. 
And we've got to be very careful because there's a lot of people whose hearts are angry and they're bitter and they have uh, intentions that are well beyond what we could even imagine. But all of a sudden, when it releases, as it says there, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. All of a sudden, out comes trash. How many people have been trashed by the words that are coming out of an angry heart? How many, how many people have been destroyed because people are not being careful with what they're saying? But Jesus goes on and notice what he says. Uh, he says there uh, that this abundance that's coming out of their life is really a heart problem. One person said, uh, I love the way he puts it, the heart of their problem was the problem of their hearts. And that's very true. I, uh, out of the abundance, what fills the heart of a man? A man speaks. And the word that's used there for fill is this idea of abundance. In other words, there's a lot of it there. And then the, the other word that's interesting there, it says uh, there's this outflow. And this outflow is an abundance, a superabundance. In other words, they just don't say a little, they say a lot. And they do damage. And then Jesus goes on in verse 35 and he says, and he says, they're revealing their nature. And here's a general principle in verse 35. Uh, out of a good man, good treasure. Out of, a, out of his heart, forth, he brings forth good things. That evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. It, it, again, interesting language that's being used here because the word brings out it actually is a compound Greek word. It, it, it's made up of the word that means out. But the other word is ballo that means cast. And it carries this idea of, uh, of driven uh, to throw out with a great deal of force. It's very strong. Have you ever had somebody just uh, lay into you and uh, with great force? If you haven't, I'll share a few people with you because they, they can do it really well. You know... They say, I just can't contain myself. Well, that's not a problem with your mouth. That's a problem with your heart. And it's a problem with the fact that you're not being controlled by the Spirit of God. Because what does it tell us in Scripture? It says that if we're walking in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And one of the things that it, of, the, of the control of the Spirit is self-control. So the person says, I am just so angry with you. I just can't contain myself. I usually don't say a thing. Because I'm just saying, what I'm seeing is what's in there. And what I'm seeing is anger. What I'm seeing is somebody who wants to be king. And they don't like it that you're king. Or you're the leader. And they don't like that. They want to be the leader. Damage. What damage that can do. And so he says it brings out, and, and notice where it's coming from. He says it's coming from the treasure. And it refers to the place where the, the precious things are stored for safekeeping. It's a repository. He says it's coming out of that heart where things are stored. And the question I was asking myself as I was studying this, and I came under conviction, what am I storing? What am I treasuring in my heart? What am I keeping? What do I need to let go? What do I need to trust God to take care of? Hmm. 
but he says this, and, and he declares this. So he draws this illustration from nature, then he, he declares something about these religious leaders, and then finally he, gives, he delivers a stern caution about their speech. You see that in verses 36 and 37. He says, our speech is accountable and judged by God. Hmm. That's why we don't, we don't have to worry about judging other people. God can take care of it. You don't have to defend yourself before somebody who has an evil heart, an angry heart, who's dumping out trash. You don't have to go to the defense. You have to realize that one day they're going to answer to God for everything that comes out of their mouth. By the way, that bothered me because a lot of things have come out of my mouth. You know, 50 years of ministry, there's been a lot of words, written a lot of those books that we talked about, 30,000 words a day. So the question is, what's coming out of us? And he says, do we realize that you're accountable? And he says, I said to you, every idle word. Now, you're going to give an account of our speech, verse 36, when on the day of judgment. Who? The people who are to give this account are the religious leaders. Actually, all of us were going to give an account. And what for? For every careless or idle word that they speak. And the word that's used there in the original language for careless is without work. And it's describing something that is unserviceable, something that is not working, that's ineffective, that's barren, that's yielding no return, that's worthless. Everything that we deliver out of our mouth that falls into idle speech, we're going to be accountable for that. Zodiades, he says in his uh, book, Commentary on Matthew, unbelievers care little about what they speak. They speak foolishness. For they do not believe their words will be judged. We believers, on the other hand, while fully capable of thinking nonsense, should restrain ourselves from displaying it. We should measure our words before we broadcast them to the public. To think before we speak takes time. Thus the command of Scripture, be slow to speak. Do we have that kind of control over our speech? And he says, we're going to face that evaluation because notice what Jesus says, by your words you will be justified. By your words you will be condemned. Verse 37. Now, now the words that men are speaking, they, they have a bearing on the degree of their reward in heaven. That's what's spoken of in Romans chapter 12 and also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it talks about the, the Bema seat of Christ. That's not having to do with our salvation. That has to do with whether what we produce is worthwhile or worthless. But this is also speaking, I believe, as he's talking about this judgment, particularly to these Pharisees of this time. He's talking about the degrees that they're going to face because they will come before the great white throne judgment that's spoken of in the book of Revelation chapter 20. And there it will be having to do with the, the degree of suffering in hell. Do you realize that the very words we speak are not overlooked or forgotten by God? They actually have an impact in eternity. You see, we, we sometimes say, well, it was just a slip of the tongue. Stop slipping. 
You can stop slipping because if you are willing to walk in the Spirit, as I said earlier, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, which the tongue slips a lot doing. How many parents have destroyed children because of the slip of the tongue? How many churches have destroyed Christian leaders because of the slip of the tongue? How many people have done things in our society and we've damaged our society because they do not see us as salt and light. They see us as chronic complainers rather than hearing us speak truth. There's a big difference between speaking truth and just complaining. Complainers never give solutions. The criticizer always sees what's wrong. Actually, what they do is they see what's different than them. And they complain and they criticize. So here it is. He speaks these words. And Jesus is being very, very clear. And uh, he makes it clear to those religious leaders that their words were careless and they were worthless. And he reminds them that they must be careful in what they speak because it reveals who they really are. And as I was preparing this, start asking some questions for myself. Maybe there's some questions that you would like to answer as well. One of the questions I ask is, what do my words reveal about my heart? Is my speech really being picked up the way it should be? I, I wonder sometimes, would anything be different if we realized that our speech is really being picked up by a live mic? How many of you have ever heard uh, politicians get into big trouble because they had a mic that they didn't know was live and he they were saying something and all of a sudden they became accountable for what they were saying? By the way, maybe this will disturb you, but you're all being picked up by a live mic. Really? And you know who's holding the mic? Or is the receiver? It's God. He hears every word. And we're accountable for every word. I wonder if we knew that we were always constantly living with a live mic, would it do anything different in our speech? Or are we so controlled by the flesh that even that does not cause us to be careful with our speech? Now, I'd like to look at another portion of Scripture. As I said, we're looking at another individual. Look at James, the half-brother of, of Jesus. In James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, we find out something else. Not only are our words something that are revealing, but our words can be devastating. And uh, the background, this is one of the New Testament books. It's one of the earlier books of the New Testament. And uh, this is written to a group of people who are undergoing persecution, and uh, they needed to understand that as a Christian, they needed to live a different life. If you're a believer in Christ, you can live a new life. And James has been writing to these believers that have been scattered because of persecution, and the flames of passion and persecution can easily melt away restraints of our tongue and unleash speech that is less than glorifying to God. That's he challenges his readers to be careful with the tongue and use it carefully. Literally, in every chapter of James, he has something to say about the tongue. 
Every chapter. Matter of fact, in your sermon notes, I suggested that maybe you want to just look uh, through the book of James and underline where it talks about the tongue and how it ought to be used. But here in this passage of Scripture, he says in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If any man does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, mature man, complete man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Now, it's interesting. He starts off and it says, basically, in verses 1 through 5, the tongue is powerful. And it requires a mature person to control that tongue. And he's giving a warning, particularly to those who would teach other people. He says, hey, you teach other people, guess what? You're in an you're in awkward place. Because you are under stricter judgment. How many times I hear uh, mega pastors of mega churches and they start spouting off their opinions, but they give the impression that it's scripture. And the damage is done because sometimes it's just their opinion. It's not the word of God. And so here it is. Uh, he's giving this uh, warning to teachers. And then he goes on and says, we stumble in many ways. One of the ways we stumble is with our speech. And he's saying if we don't stumble, it's because we're displaying spiritual maturity. We're bridling our tongues. And he goes on and it says about this tongue that's powerful, it has great influence in one's life. It's small yet influential. And he gives three analogies. The first analogy is think about a horse. I mentioned to a men's Bible study this week that my granddaughter, Emma, you know, she's about this tall. And she's, she's a fine girl. And she works at a horse farm. And uh, she's working with all, all different kinds of horses. And some of these horses, you know, I go down there to see her at the farm. And I'm thinking, they're going to crush her. I mean, they are. I mean, some of the, some of the, there's, there's different varieties. There's one that's five, about 500 pounds. There's one that's about 1,300 pounds. And there's my little granddaughter out there, you know, leading around these big things. And I want to go out there and say, hey, watch my granddaughter. You know, I, you know like, like I, I don't even know how to deal with a horse. But so I, but, I, but I watch her, and it's interesting when I see her. And I said, you know, doesn't it bother you that you're working with these big animals? And, you know, and, you know, and you're trying to control them? She says, no. She says, I know how to control them. I said, you're a little cocky. And then, of course, uh, her attitude is that, well, I'm like my grandfather. And, <laughs> and, uh, but she, she was just, uh, she, she comes along, she says, hey, Dad, Grandpa, see this? I pull in this, and he listens. Because I've got a bit in his mouth, and he doesn't like his tongue pinched. Hmm. Small thing controlling a big horse. And another analogy that is used by James is, he says, well, how about the rudder of a ship? Actually, the word rudder denotes the, the part 
that's the handle of the rudder, this part. If you have ever seen in a sailing ship, you know, just the top part that you pull back and forth. He's, he's talking about that part of it, and he says, he says, it's small, but it controls big things. I, uh, I, was, I was doing some uh, study in this, and I found out that the QE2, the QE2 weighed, um, uh, well, it was, I won't go into the weight, but it was three football lengths long. And the thing that controlled this ship was the rudder, which was 0.1% of the total weight of that ship. Not a big thing, but a lot of control. Tongue's the same way. And then he used one other ones. He says, how about a, a fire? Well, how about going out to California? How about going out to the West Coast? Started small, covering multiple thousands of miles. Because it starts small, but look how destructive it can be. And there's one big principle that you see hanging over all of this in verse 5. He says there, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. I use a book in uh, marriage counseling and premarital counseling, and so do many Christian counselors uh, use the same material, even though the book is really pretty old. It's called Communication Key to Your Marriage. But in that, Norman Wright says this, each person must be responsible for his own tongue training program. Love that phrase, tongue training program. And then he goes on, controlling the tongue needs to be a continuing aim for every person because everything that is said either helps or hinders, heals or scars, builds up or tears down. You know, it's, it's, not, middle, it's not neutral. It's going to have an impact. You say, well, I, I, I was just kidding. Oh, come on. You, there, every person who says they were just kidding, there's always been a, a root of truth in what they were saying. And the person who hears it knows it. And the damage is done. There's a little tongue, but it has already done big damage. And then, you know, he not only says the tongue is powerful, he goes on and says the tongue is perilous. In verses 6 to 8, he says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body, sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So notice what he says there. He says in verse 6, it's destructive. And he's actually continuing the theme that he had started back in verse 5. And he says, you know, understand this. It, it not only impacts a little bit of you, but it defiles all of you. That's what the tongue can do. And how many people have said things and they go around and their speech is careless and they make accusations and they make statements and they do on and on. And as they're doing that, they are destroying be careful, little mouths, what you say. And be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful. There's a lot of people who make a lot of accusations. Do you know what the accusation 
means, really? Do you know who the father of accusations is? It says in the scripture, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Somebody says, well, I'm just being a devil's advocate. Really? Is that who you want to be advocating for? Really? Or maybe you could speak truth in love. Oh, that's also a command of Scripture. So be very, very careful because it can be destructive. And verses 7 and 8 where I read, it can be unruly. He says, look, we can control a lot of things, but no man can really tame the tongue. And I, I would add that the thought is by himself. But I would say that as a person is under the control of the Spirit of God, he can control his speech. And he should control his speech. And if he's not controlling his speech, it's simply going back to what Jesus is saying. It's revealing his heart. And then he goes on. It says it can be destructive. It can be unruly. It can be deadly. It says the tongue is full of deadly poison. I like what one man said, and and I'm quoting him. It says, This deadly drug does not need to be taken in large doses. That is the tongue and its speech. A drop or two will suffice. The tongue does not need to distill long speeches. It has but to drop a word, and mischief is afoot. Thus has peace been ruined. Thus has a reputation been blackened. Thus has a friendship been embittered. Thus a life has been blasted. In such small ways as well as in more deliberate fashion, our minds and lives poisoned by a word, the poison of the tongue. Did you catch what he said there? He says it can destroy, a a friendship can be embittered, a reputation can be blackened, and mischief can be set afoot. Boy, it is perilous. It is powerful. And it causes problems. In verses 9 through 12, he talks about it. He says, you know, the problem is this tongue can be inconsistent. With it we bless our God, verse 9, and the Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude, the image of God. On the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. Here's the problems. It can be inconsistent. Fickle speech. Oh, I've heard some great person speak and sound so good. They're such great orators of truth. And then all of a sudden, they slip in just a few words. And those few words are deadly words. And those mixed messages. So, do I really believe them? Our culture is trying to figure out Christians. Because they hear us speak truth. The Word of God says. Well, that's impressive. But then they hear us with our other speech. Our Facebook posts our Twitters, our emails, you you go on and on, whatever type of communication. And all of a sudden, there's inconsistency. So which is it? 
what do you really believe? What do Christians really hold? You know, I actually heard a, a person who's not a believer at this point because they had turned their back on Christianity. And he says, yeah, I, I listen to a lot of Christians. Hey, you know, I know the Bible too. Speak the truth in love. Boy, I haven't heard a lot of that coming from Christians. I haven't heard a lot of that coming from Christians. Why? Because there was a problem with the mouth, with the speech. They were careless, not cautious. And notice something else. It says, he, he makes it very clear. James says, it should not be. My brethren, these things should not be. And, and then he goes on and he expands upon it and giving a reason. He says, it's illogical. He gives four illustrations. He says, a spring, verse 11, does fresh and bitter water come out of the same source? No. By the way, I've had bitter water on the Appalachian Trail. We, got a, we only had sulfur water at a couple places we had to stop. And I want to tell you, that's enough to make any man sick. You know, um, but, but I would never say, oh, I'll go back there again and maybe it'll be better than this time. No. If it's sulfur water, it's sulfur water. It's not going to be good water. So he says, it's illogical. And then he goes on another one. He says, a fig tree. Does it bear olives? No. And again, isn't that what Jesus was saying? He says, you're going to tell about a person by their fruits. James picked that up, didn't he? Or how about a grapevine? Does it bear figs? No. And then he goes back to the analogy of a spring, sort of bringing this all together. He says, does a spring produce salt and fresh water? No. In other words, if you are claiming that you're a child of God, that you're a new creation, he says, then don't live like you're an old creation. Pretty strong stuff. The tongue is particularly dangerous when it is not consistent. And it's inconsistent. As I said, we say that God is love, but then we release a barrage of hateful and hurtful language. We use our Sunday speak, but the rest of the week we use our worldly speak. The psalmist uh, knew this, and uh, so he prayed. His, his prayer was, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. The RSV, the Reed Standard Version, is, and keep the door shut many times. And then he makes this commitment. He says, I made a commitment. I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle. Huh. Whenever James got this idea of a bridle, do you think he read the Psalms too? You better believe it. So, in conclusion, I'm glad, I'm, and you're saying, well, I'm glad you finally got to that point. In conclusion, uh, I was talking to some guys at uh, Calvary Fellowship Homes, and I said, do you remember these from World War II? Oh, they did. You know, they used to put these, these posters around at different places, and uh, loose lips sink ships, because they realized that there were, the espionage was going on, and the enemy would pick up uh, words that were being spoken, and it, he would use it against the enemy. Do you know our enemy 
is using words. And I changed this a little bit. I said, loose lips sink Christians. How many Christians are sunk because of the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart are not acceptable unto God, and they're certainly not going to be acceptable unto anybody else? And another one was, careless talk costs lives. That's where I came up with the title, by the way. So is our speech careful or careless? If you want to really know how to use your lips, look at Jesus. You, you talk about a pressure time. Do you think the passion was a pressure time? Oh, I do. So how did Jesus use his lips during the pressure time? Well, I find in the Word of God, it tells me that when he was before Pilate, even though he was under pressure, he spoke truth. Don't compromise, speak truth, but make sure it's really truth, not an opinion of someone, not an opinion of the mega pastor, not the opinion of some fill-in-the-blank, but make sure it's the truth, the Word of God, and Jesus did that. Or how about when insults were being hurled against him, when he suffered, it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, he made no threats, controlled his tongue. Or how about when he was talking to those who were crucifying him, that were hurling abuse and words at him while he was hung on the cross. And he says this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Totally spirit-controlled. Or how about how he spoke to someone who was penitent? who was a sinner, who had been involved in horrible things. He says, with words of hope, today you shall be with me in paradise. You see how he used his tongue? By the way, there's the example of how to use your tongue. Jesus made it very, very clear, didn't he? That words are revealing. And James underscores that, and he says, and not only that, but words can be devastating. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how you ought to answer each one. Colossians 4, 6. The children sang, and you sang, and I would say, make it an admonition. Make it a prayer. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. For a father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. That is a great principle to live by. Father, thank you for your word today, and thank you that it is truth. And may that truth impact our lives. May we be careful with our speech and may we be careful when we listen to others' speech because it may not be profitable. It may not be true. It may be a, a distortion, just like the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They totally blew it with their speech as they were talking about what Jesus had done. Lord, let us be careful, very careful, with what we say, and also with what we do. May the Spirit of the, the Lord control us in everything.
so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh that's lived out through the lips of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you please stand and let's reflect on how if Jesus is Lord of all of our life, then our, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Timely, relevant, powerful reminder this morning. Jesus needs to be Lord of our tongues, Lord of our hearts, Lord of everything uh, we say and do. Thank you, Pastor Reed. As we get ready to dismiss today, I would remind you that we have offering boxes in the back for our gifts and tithes this morning. We have ABF environments that are available throughout the building today. We hope that you'll fellowship during the ABF hour. Look forward to seeing many of you. Hope you have a wonderful week in Jesus. 
We'll see you next time. Take care, everyone. See you.